Brought to you by Modelo. What up, brothers? Welcome back to Throwing Hands. Uh, Daniel and I are back. It's uh, it's been a couple days since the last fight night at Halver Silva. Lots to talk about. Daniel, how are you doing? Doing great, Jacob. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. But uh, before we get into fighting, we're going to talk about uh, how much of an idiot you have to be to uh, <laughs> to break into John Jones' house. Uh, I don't know if you heard, but someone tried to break into John Jones' house, and John Jones chasing with a shotgun. I don't think there's more terrifying things out there. What do you have to say to that? Yeah, there's, uh, there's not a lot of choices you can make worse than, uh, than breaking into John Jones' house. So uh, for, the, for the people that did that, um, make, make better choices, uh, <laughs> reconsider your life, and uh, recalibrate some things that, that you're doing every day because you are you are among the least intelligent people that I have ever heard of. <laughs> You've heard it here, folks. So we're just gonna get right into the uh, right into the swing of things. Um, Bobby Green versus Tiago Moises. Uh, I thought Bobby Green won this fight. Um, I don't see how Tiago Moises won this fight, except maybe based off ground control. Um, but Bobby Green was, you know, he's looking good in his old older age. I'm very surprised, I'm very uh, pleased to see that he's doing well in his old age. What do you have to say, make of this matchup? Yeah, this was an interesting one. Again, Bobby Green continues to look good even as he gets older and even as he sort of falls out of high-end contention in this division. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I agree. I think he won this fight. Um, Tiago Moises, more power to him, picks up the, uh, picks up the, the upset win here. It would have to be ground control because when you look at when you look purely at the numbers, he got dominated on the feet and had an equal number of takedowns on an equal number of attempts. So, again, you can look at Tiago Moises' ground control, but in terms of a well-rounded fight, Bobby Green won this on the feet, and while he probably didn't win it overall on the ground, it was enough of an even fight there that I think this one should have gone to him by decision. Nonetheless, nothing to take, not to take away anything from Tiago Moises. He fought a good fight, but I just think this, this was Bobby Green's fight to lose, and I don't think he did. Definitely. So we're going to talk about what's next. Tiago Moises, he's, he's, he's very young. He's looking good. Uh, he beat uh, Michael John- Johnson back on, uh, on the Florida uh, yeah, back in Florida when the UFC's first started getting up again. So he's been looking good as of late. What do you think's next for him? It's interesting about Tiago Moises because, like you said, he's so young. They wouldn't be putting him up against somebody in Bobby Green this quickly if they didn't have plans for him, even though he's just 25. So I think we're potentially looking at a situation where does Tiago Moises get a top 15 contender? I, I think that's something to legitimately look at. Uh, because he's he's a guy that has a lot of talent and just knocked off somebody in Bobby Green that has hovered around that top 15 for quite a while. Definitely. And when we talk about Bobby Green, uh, I think he stays in the same position, um, kind of like a gatekeeper of the top 20. I think that's a solid position for him. What do you have to say? Uh, 
I think so. Bobby Green's not going anywhere. He's not going to be a title contender, but he, he's got a place on this UFC roster, and it's a very important one. Definitely. So to uh, performance, I think uh, performance of the night, uh, Kevin Hahn versus Charlie Ontiveros. Uh, Kevin Hahn defeating him with a slam. Charlie Ontiveros only landing two strikes. Uh, Ontiveros hurt his neck on that slam, but he's all right. He's 100% apparently. So uh, Kevin Hahn, I mean, he, he landed 97% of his shots. 30, uh, 33 or 34. I don't <laughs> he, he looked as good as ever in this fight. What do you have to make of it? I love Kevin Holland. Ah, it's, it's just, he's the only guy that's 4-0 in 2020. It seems like he's fighting every six days. And he looked so impressive. Yes, he was a massive favorite against Charlie Ontiveros. He was a minus 800 favorite. He should have won this fight in four seconds. Uh, but there's a reason he was that big of a favorite. And it's because he's been so good in 2020. Uh, like you said, almost perfect striking, 33 of 34, uh, 11 of 12 significant, two takedowns, including that slam. Uh, Ontiveros only landed two strikes on him the entire fight. I mean, come on. Uh, Kevin Holland has been so impressive in 2020. And he's turned himself into a legitimate future contender, in my opinion, because he's looked so good and because he's been so dominant in the fights that he's won. Yeah, definitely. I, I have to agree with you there. You can't really question it. So uh, we're going to talk about what's next for Ontiveros. Uh, he's he's going to move down to welterweight. I don't think anybody's questioning that. So I, that's really all I got for Ontiveros. I think, I think he'll be a decent contender down there with his striking ability. What do you have to say? That makes the most sense. Take a step back for him, move down in a weight class, and I think he has a better chance to compete there. Yeah, and for Kevin Holland, I, I they got to give him somebody ranked. I, I'd like to see him fight Chris Weidman personally. I think he's earned it because of how good he has looked. I don't know what you think, but what do you have to say? I mean, he called out Hamzat Shamayev before this fight ever happened. So you tell me. Uh, I mean – I'm not sure that's the fight that we want to see right away, but Kevin Holland needs needs a big time challenge. Ahmedjamayev needs a big time challenge. Who knows? I, I don't think you want to. I don't think you want to make that fight right away. But uh, Kevin Holland, like you said, needs somebody in the top 15. Needs a legitimate competitor, and there's plenty of guys to do that. Yeah, and uh, he said he's willing to go fight Mike Perry in a few weeks. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens there. Um, I think Kevin Holland would like would like fight steep Amy on three days notice if you asked him to. Yeah. I don't think he cares. (laughs) Yeah. Like you, like you could, you could tell Kevin Holland, Hey, you're going to get a pay-per-view main event for fighting a bear. You have 12 hours to prepare and and he would do it. Yeah. I mean, he just likes to fight and you got to respect it. So speaking of uh, a heavyweights, uh, Marie screen versus Greg Hardy, Greg Hardy. I mean, you can't, he, he looked good. He looked very good. Uh, he was he was huffing and puffing uh, at the end of that fight, but he 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 earned it. He earned it. He looked very good. Uh, landed sixty six percent of his strikes. Very solid for a guy who's only been fighting for three years. What did you have to make of this matchup? Uh, that's the thing that stuck out to me about Greg Hardy in this fight was his efficiency, because that's what we've seen him struggle with before. We've seen him struggle with his conditioning and struggle in terms of staying in fights as they've gone on and he was having some problems with that but a lot of times it's been because he's thrown a bunch of strikes with a lot of power behind him and he's wearing himself out and he did that to an extent here uh, but he was able to stay under control a little bit more again he almost became the first heavyweight to miss weight in UFC history before this fight 
because uh, he came in at 266.5 and able to get down to 264 in, in that hour time period between weigh-ins. But still, Greg Hardy looked great in this fight, but he is going to have to figure something out in terms of conditioning and in terms of cardio if he wants to have any chance to keep moving in the, up in the UFC heavyweight division. Uh, he, he dominated a guy in Maurice Green that is very talented. I'll give him that. But there are still a lot of steps that Greg Hardy has to take to be remotely relevant in this UFC heavyweight division. Definitely. So we'll get back to Greg Hardy in a minute. But for Maurice Green, I don't know. Maybe he's like a little gatekeeper for the top 25. I think he's a, good, he's a great fighter, but he just hasn't been able to piece it together. So it's a really interesting situation for him. What do you think? Yeah, Maurice Green is it's, – it's a weird situation for him because he's 34 years old. Uh, but he's kind of just hitting his stride now. And that's that's something you kind of see in the UFC where he's lost three of his last four, but he's looked pretty good even in that time. And it's against guys like Alexi Olenek and Greg Hardy. He's got the win against John Vellante sandwiched in there. <laughs> so I don't know what to make of Maurice Green because I, I think with his, with his length, uh, with – his combination of striking and submission work, he's very clearly got a place in the UFC. I just don't know how consistent it's going to be over the next couple of years. Yeah, uh, fat John Vellante, albeit, but <laughs> we'll, I mean, we'll talk about Greg. there. <laughs> hey, I mean. You didn't, have to, you didn't have to come for the man's throat. <laughs> I come for, the, for a lot of throats here because this is the only fighting I'll ever do. But anyway, Greg Hardy, let's talk about what's next for him. I want to see him fight someone in the fifteen uh, top fifteen. I think uh, I think Taburo would be a nice nice little matchup for him. What do you have to say? I think so. I think Greg Hardy is going to need to take a step forward at some point. This seems like as good a time as any. Uh, who that would be? Uh, that is uh, that's not my decision, and it's not a decision I probably would want to make. Uh, be, just because he's so divisive and has honestly just had so many things go on other than just his fighting even since he's been in the UFC so Greg Hardy's always tough to match make for but it always makes for ratings when you do so I don't think it's going to be hard to set him up with a with a fight against somebody in the top 15 who it would be I think that's going to be a little more of a careful selection yeah I, I agree with you there that's that's a good assessment to the co-main event to the co-main event uh, Bryce Mitchell versus Andre Feely. Bryce Mitchell, he's legit. I'm I'm convinced he landed 74% of his strikes, 46 half of those, just about half of those were significant. Uh, Andre Feely uh, claiming he's the better grappler, but that clearly wasn't the case. Bryce Mitchell, he might be the best grappler in the featherweight division. What do you have to say making this matchup? Oh, Bryce Mitchell's so good, man. Like, don't say you're a better grappler than Bryce Mitchell because, like, unless you're Khabib never made up, you're not. That's, that's the thing. Unless you're a very select few number of guys in the entire world of mixed martial arts, you're not a better grappler than Bryce Mitchell. So don't say that you are. That's, that's the biggest thing for me. And then you have this situation where Andre Feely, who's a talented guy, he was a top 15 guy, comes in and tries to make a statement against Bryce Mitchell, who is coming up so quickly and is making these opportunities for himself. And honestly, Bryce Mitchell – didn't finish him, but he was in control of this fight for three rounds, whether it be on the ground or on the feet, landed 100 total strikes in a three-round fight. 
uh, that spent a lot of time on the ground. I found that to be really impressive. So, yeah, Bryce Mitchell looked great, uh, was continues to be an outstanding prospect, and continues to take a step forward with a top 15 win. Yeah, speaking of taking steps, uh, Andre Feely's been taking a step back lately. Um, I just don't – he says he can compete for a championship again. Uh, he he I thinks he can't. I, I completely disagree with that. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting situation for Mr. Feely. Um, maybe a top 15 gatekeeper for the rest of his career. That's where I see him being. Yeah, I can't disagree with you there. He's, in, he's at a point in his career arc where he's starting to backslide and you don't see guys bounce back into title contention very often when they start into this part of their career. Definitely. The only one I can think of that's done that is uh, Jan Blahovich. Exactly. And, I mean, that's that's a whole other animal. But let's talk about Bryce Mitchell real quick. I think I think he's the future of this division. I genuinely do. I think give him a couple years and he's the champ. Because, I mean, this this might be the most stacked division. I mean, Cater's six. And then if you go down after that, absolutely stacked. So I think we could see him fight somebody in the top ten. Maybe Arnold Allen, he hasn't fought in a while. So what do you have to say? I think I would agree with you there. Uh, somebody in the top 10 would probably be next for Bryce Mitchell. Would it be too far of a step forward to say that? I don't think so. I'm not necessarily saying he would win that outright, uh, but I think you need to get him matched up against somebody that is a legitimate top 10 contender. You you mentioned Arnold Allen. Honestly, I'm. it might be too much of a test just because of how violent and how difficult to deal with he can be but I would not be against seeing a Bryce Mitchell, Jeremy Stevens fight just because that's such a mix of styles between those two guys yeah. with Jeremy Stevens, just being a pure all out, knock your head off striker. And then you have Bryce Mitchell as a, uh, as a grappler. Again, I'm not sure that's a fight you make because in, in Jeremy Stevens last five fights, he's got four losses and a no contest, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure. That would be an interesting mix of styles for me. That would be a fight that I would want to watch just to see what happens with it. But I agree. Bryce Mitchell gets somebody in the top 10 and gets the opportunity to really stake his claim to a legitimate contendership in that division. Definitely. So to the main event of the evening, uh, Uriah Hall versus Anderson Silva. Uh, Uriah Hall did his thing here. Um, hit him with that. I think it was a left uh, to the temple, put Anderson down the ground and he finished it there. Um, it was sad to see, honestly. I don't like seeing someone as great as Silva just get beat up like that. Um, yeah, what, what were your thoughts on this one? This was as emotional a fight as you're going to find, I think, because Anderson Silva, for so many people, uh, it, fighters and fans, uh, Uriah Hall included, uh, meant so much and honestly was the gateway for so many people in mixed martial arts. For this to be the end of the line, uh, I think is very emotional for a lot of people. And you could tell it was very emotional for Uriah Hall after this fight. And I think that's, that's a special kind of thing that you see in sports where uh, you, you have situations like this where sometimes the greatest don't go out on top. And that's what happened in this fight. But nonetheless, I think you saw throughout the fight and after the fight, uh, the respect and honestly the love that mixed martial arts the ufc uriah hall everybody that was out there has for anderson silva and will continue to have for him even after he finishes his career so while 
he did not go out on top. He did end up, you know, losing by TKO to, to Uriah Hall in this fight. I think it was a fitting end for Anderson Silva. Would you like to see him win? Yes. But with with the way things worked out for him, I still think this was an ending that, while not necessarily the most successful for him personally, I think could be said to be a very satisfying one, particularly in the eyes of fans, particularly in the eyes of other fighters, to see him go out against somebody in your eye hall that was so obviously inspired to do what he does by Anderson Silva and by what he did in the UFC during his time as the, as the champion of that division. For sure. So we're going to get to Anderson Silva's legacy in a hot minute, but let's talk about Uriah Hall. Um, Anderson said he's going to be the champ. I have to respectfully disagree. Um, <laughs> I think we could see him maybe fight Gaslam next. I think that's, I think that's the matchup to make. What do you have to say? I think so. I think Uriah Hall is definitely somebody to not be messed with in, the, in this division. Uh, so, yeah, I think he's, he's certainly got a position. I think a Gaslam matchup would be a very interesting one to see. All righty. Well, that does it for uh, reviewing, uh, reviewing this uh, part, but let's talk about legacy here. Uh, what, I think what Anderson Silva leaves behind is um, – Something incredible. I mean, yes, he did test positive for drugs. I mean, who didn't back then? But it's he's he. You could argue he's the best. I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, shame shame you for that. So, what are your thoughts? I think that Anderson Silva is one of the greatest of all time. Again, you can talk about the drug test. You can talk about uh, him him having positive drug tests. But nonetheless, he is one of the greatest fighters of all time. Uh, my my goat list honestly shuffles back and forth pretty often depending on how I'm feeling most days to be completely honest but I think uh, Anderson Silva is very clearly one of the best pound for pound fighters of all time he wouldn't have been at the top of the game for so long if he wasn't and he's one of the guys that's up there that I don't think you can dispute you can dispute somebody like Conor McGregor uh, being one of the greatest of all time I don't think you can dispute Anderson Silva. He's, he's in that elite class with, with your George St. Pierre, uh, with, with your John Jones. He is, he is in that echelon of competitor for me. I, I have to agree with you there, but let's get on to some news. Uh, I just sent you a text. Uh, he was some water sin for some time, I think 257 in January, if I'm not mistaken. I'm all for it. I'm all so for am it. I. I'm, Absolutely. I, that's, that's, that's a fight that I want to see for sure. Yeah, I think I think Hebus is up next in that division personally. So, it's it's an intriguing matchup. But let's talk about uh, the state of the light heavyweight division. Israel Adesanya is moving up, so this basically makes uh, Santos versus Shara pointless. I don't I don't see the point of the fight anymore. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I I, I don't totally understand why you're doing this so quickly. To be honest, I get that Adesanya has largely cleaned out his division, uh, particularly with Whitaker knocking off Jared Kandir. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get this because it, it, like you said, it pretty much invalidates the other title fights or the other contendership fights, I should say, uh, going on in the uh, in the light heavyweight division. Uh, I, I don't, I don't get why you do this so quickly. I get that you're looking to to get a fight together quickly for Israel Adesanya. But 
I, I just don't know if this, this is the one to make. Yeah, I don't think it is either. And so we have Prochaska versus Reyes in February and Santos and Teixeira next week. And I don't, they don't know when Adesonia or uh, Blahovic is going to fight. So it's, it's a really weird situation because these two, these two guys, they're both relatively new champions. And yet, I mean, Blahovic is brand new, but you have Santos who beat the brakes off Blahovic about a, a year and a half ago. And he almost, he probably could have beat John. You could argue that he beat John Jones. And along with Teixeira, who's surging. And Teixeira, uh, Prochaska, who's, uh, I think he's probably, he might be the best in the heavyweight division. We don't know it yet. So it's a, it's a tough situation. I, I feel bad for these top five contenders because they're all right there. Yeah, I agree. And this is, a, this is a light heavyweight division that we talked about when John Jones vacated that title that there was finally going to be some opportunities for these guys to get title shots and have a legitimate chance to put themselves in title contention. But now you just have Israel Adesanya stepping up and taking that title shot instead to take on Jan Blovitz. So we talked about how this light heavyweight division was going to open up a little bit more and have more opportunities for upward mobility with John Jones out of there. And instead the UFC has just decided to continue to try to make these title versus title super fights when there's really no demand for it. I mean, I looked at, I looked at my Twitter feed and it came across that, that Israel Adesanya was going to fight Jan Blahovitz. And I was like, who it's, it's, it's an interesting fight, but who asked for this? I didn't ask that's, for that's, it. <laughs> that's my question is who asked for this fight? Because I didn't, I didn't see anybody on UFC Twitter. I didn't see anybody in UFC media asking for this fight. So I, I just don't know what the purpose of making a super fight like this so early into Jan Blahovitz's reign, and honestly, pretty early in Israel Adesanya's reign, despite his dominance, what the point of making this fight this early is. Yeah, I don't get it. And um, I guess we can get to some early predictions here. Um, I also think Blahovitz would beat the brakes off Adesanya. I think if Blahovitz just gets a hold of him and brings him to the ground, it's over. I, and Blahovic has a similar reach to Adesanya as he only has an inch disadvantage, if I'm not mistaken. So it's not, it's not, I think Blahovic is experienced enough that he keep the distance uh, within range. So it's, it's an interesting matchup. I'm, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah. I think Blahovic would obviously have an outstanding chance to beat Israel Adesanya because he outweighs him by a good bit and is going to have that, that reach similarity. So if anybody is going to get in tight and beat Israel Adesanya, it's going to be Jan Blahovitz, which he should because he's a 205er and Adesanya fights at 185. He's the champ. They're both champions, and you would expect the guy from the higher weight class to be able to, to take care of the, the 185 guy in this situation. Obviously, Israel Adesanya, we've doubted him before, and he's proven us wrong. But I think Jan Blahovitz, in terms of power and in terms of just – general aggression may be a bridge too far yeah and uh the, the odds were just released um adesanya is listed at uh minus 300 and blahovic is uh at plus 250 so it's hammer the blahovic money holy will... crap he's a two to one underdog yep uh, take your life savings and put it on jan blahovic <laughs> that that's that's that might be a little too radical, Daniel. But I mean, 
I mean, come on. I mean, you know, I, I he, like his I like Israel Adesanya, but I'm not I'm not taking him as a three to one favorite against the against Jan Blahovitz. No, I'm not either. But uh, there's one more news I want a piece of news I want to discuss. When Trevin Giles back in August, uh, he passed out before his fight with Kevin Holland. His his heart stopped uh, on the way yeah, to the hospital. I saw that. That's really That's interesting. Terrifying. That is terrifying. Oh, uh, damn. Uh, that's sad to see, but uh, it's good to see he's yeah. back up on his feet. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, that, do you have any other news that you want? He's already back. Yeah, definitely. Uh, do you have any other news? There's nothing that, that comes to mind right away for me, so uh, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm good to go, too. Danny, I want to thank you for coming back on. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll see you uh, tomorrow for an interview with Carson Hardman, who's fighting in the XFC tournament, uh, welterweight tournament. So, see you then.